Matera from 55. He sets sail for home with a mighty kick. What a goal. He's one of the players of the year. In this week's episode of The Deadliest Files, we interview Peter Matera about playing with his brothers and dealing with racism in the 90s. Oh, Matera, magical, mercurial, magnificent Peter Matera. Matera sets sail for Joining us on The Deadliest, former Eagles champion, Peter Matera. Brother, thanks for coming on and congratulations on being voted into The Deadliest, the, the most deadly 16 Indigenous players of all time. It's uh, awesome. That's awesome, mate. Really good. Obviously, being an Indigenous man, who's your mob and where are you from? Yeah, so I'm uh, from the Nalakala Budja clan, the Noongar clan from down south of uh, WA. Yeah. Um, and also I've got um, my grandfather's up at uh, Baladong, which is up near Brookton area. So a bit of a mix, but it's good to have a heritage like that. I know you've got a big family and, um, you know, in Indigenous culture and, of course, Italian culture, because you did make the Italian team of the century as well. Family, I guess, is such a big part of the culture. What was it like growing up with so many people around and, you know, like that strong culture and family connection? Yeah, I guess with Dad coming from Italy, I guess his religion and his um, heritage was pretty strong. And with all his Italian mates that he came over from Italy, um, still still to this day, still around the, around uh, WA, yeah. um, and also with mum. So, you know, the heritage on both sides were pretty strong. And, and I guess with the families of us as uh, myself and seven other siblings, <laughs> there was no TV down there with dad uh, and mum. We uh, all get on really, really well. And it's, uh, it's, it's a great family um, gathering when it comes to um, Christmas times and stuff. I want to talk to you about what it was like growing up, kicking the footy around and all that kind of stuff. Did things get pretty hot and heavy in the backyard <laughs> again? All the time. We used to play out the front and it used to be um, bitumen and we used to use the telephone poles and, and the trees as the goals and we used to have all the neighbours of all the Indigenous guys around town and a couple of uh, non-Indigenous guys would join in and uh, we'd, we'd play that game of footy and when it comes across the road, you've got to make sure you don't fall over or get tackled, so you've got to run a bit fast, and that's probably where I got my speed from. Keep your feet. Keep your feet. <laughs> yeah. And then we used to play the rucks all on the neighbours' lawns, so, you know, throwing the ball up and so forth and have your midfield. So we had great times there growing up, and I guess uh, all our skills from not only myself but all the uh, other Indigenous boys that played on uh, on that turf, you know, the skills came about. When you were a kid running around when it, when it might have just been you kicking the footy. Who were you pretending to be? Stephen Michael's family members used to live across the road and, and when Stephen used to play for South Fremantle, he used to come down and visit these. And when I used to see him pull up in the front yard and the big fella get out and uh, go over there, I couldn't wait to get over on the front lawn and have a look at him. And, and you know, he was pretty much mine growing up with Morris Rioli <laughs> around that time. Um, and then when... I pretty much made the transition. It was, it was more Nicky Wimmer, that type of guys that I looked up to. So, But Stephen would have been that because he was pretty much across the road when he used to visit. What was that like? Like, I can imagine he was before my time and I, I, I haven't seen too much of him play, but you hear everyone talk about him being the greatest never to play in the national competition. And then for you to have that kind of almost glimpse behind the curtain of seeing him in, in the real world. You know, what was that like for a young kid who loved his footy? Oh, it was, uh, it was amazing because my brother Wally had the opportunity to go and play for South Fremantle and then in that side you had Nicky Wimmer, Stephen Michael, Brioli, all these guys that were in that around that era. I used to go up and um, go to the change rooms and see the boys in their lives. So it was, it was awesome to see them and how big they were and, you know, back in the day, we used to watch it on, on TV, you know, and you'd get around the lounge room and watch your idols and that. So, 
yeah, to, to see him in person and to see him um, play the way that he played, big impact on Indigenous football. I have to agree. And you touched on your older brother, Wally, there. What was it like having him, you know, hit such highs with his own footy and kind of, you know, from your perspective growing up, then realising, well, hang on, if he can do it, maybe I can? And then at what point did you realise this, this might be something I might be able to do? Yeah, I guess I was around about that 16, 17 years of age where Wally was playing for South Fremantle and, and he used to come back home to Wagen and then uh, he would say, you know, it's, it's time for you to move up to Perth and try out with South. And that time he was in the borderlines of, of this new side of the Eagles coming through in, in 87. I came up in 86, I think it was. But to go up there and then uh, he was pretty much the big influence of getting up there. And plus my other brother, Michael, was pretty much living in Perth and he just pretty much said, look, you can stay with me as long as you play footy and, and stick at it and, and make something of it, you know, we'll back you all the way. So I made that transition around 17, 16, 17 to go to South Fremantle and then three years and then the Eagles. You went pick four and was it the 88 draft, I think? Yeah. So I guess, so you had a couple of years there. What was that initial transition like from home up to Perth? Because you hear so many kids now talking about how it's hard to transition interstate, but you're going from country, you know, small area into the big city and then, you know, just trying to make it. That must have been so tough at that age as well. Oh, definitely. I um, I remember going up to South Fremantle and as soon as the game was over, I'd jump in my car and go back to the country because um, that's where all my friends were and, and it was pretty hard to let that go. I think the people around me at the club at, at South Fremantle pretty much said, look, you know, if you're going to make a goal, but you've got to stay in, in the city, and, you know, we'll get you a job, all these type of things. But it was, it was more about my family and friends said, you know, like you can't keep coming home. You know, you will support you. Got to get back to the city and make something of it. You know, so because you got the talent and so forth. So that was a big issue for me is going back. Yeah, coming home, um, you had that support, but going back to uh, Perth, I also had that support. So it was good both ways. That's good because I suppose you're here with a lot of Indigenous boys as well. It's like once they go home and leave the footy club to to visit family and visit mob, it's actually really hard to get them to come back. But for you having your brothers up there, that must have made all the difference. Oh, definitely, because I was I was comfortable, you know, family there, and they pretty much were my role models, mentors, all that type of thing rolled in one, that support that I really needed at that time, and that pretty much made me stay in Perth and stick it out and, and make something of it. So now let's fast forward a couple of years. You're back, you've just got drafted to the Eagles. Anyone who's been drafted understands how crazy it is and, you know, like the step up and you're just like, holy crap, these guys are my <laughs> stars, they're heroes, and now you're in the locker rooms with them. What was that like for you when you first made that move from South Fremantle into the Eagles locker rooms and especially because it's just a newly formed club as well? So pro probably a unique experience there. Yeah, it was. It was, you know, the guys that, that I, was, I was looking up to were Johnny Worsfold, Michael Brennan, Chris Mainwaring, these are the guys who were playing in the waffle at that time with my brother Wally and you know, Wally was there before I got there and then he went to Fitzroy. But to see those guys in the locker rooms and trying to be one of them, I guess, because they were the best footballers in WA playing with West Coast, I really had to pull my head in in some way because it's another league, another level. And a lot of support was around me at that time with Mainwaring, the Worstfolds, the Sumiches, that really helped me nourish as, as a person, not so much as a footballer, but as a person in this professional life. You actually hit the ground running and in 91, you know, you come forth in the Brownlow, the Eagles are, the Eagles are coming, things are building. You're, at that point, it's a one-club town. Then, then the next year, 92, you win the flag, you famously win the Norm Smith. 
The Norm Smith medal today has been won by West Coast Eagles player Peter Matera. It will be presented by Carlton great champion Brewster. Not only do you win the Norm Smith, you're best on in a in a grand final, but you've won the first flag outside Victoria and you're bringing it back to a one AFL club town in WA in Perth. You guys were rock stars. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing because it was that one-team town, pretty much Perth, you know, all the restaurants, nightclubs, wherever you went, they pretty much gave us the key of, of that support. So it was pretty wild. Wherever you went, people in the shopping malls all over Perth, you couldn't go anywhere. But when you did go out, you know, you were rock stars. Was that pretty tough to navigate? Like, when you're living in Perth, you've just won a norm. I mean, you're high in the Brownlee, you've just won the flag. It's it's all happening. Was that quite hard to kind of stay balanced? Because... Yeah, it was. It was, it was, it was hard because you couldn't go anywhere without getting hassled in, in some regard. And I guess because of the performance of the Norm Smith and, you know, how we played as a team, we were on notice on for the next year and so forth and how we pretty much conducted ourselves outside of footy. So there's a big difference to really uh, take a step back and be older than what you really are. Yep. So we were only in our early 20s. Yep. It was huge. And then um, obviously in 94, you win it again. You would have played almost knowing that you were going to win most weeks. Like, was that just incredible? And then what did that do for your footy uh, personally? I think the way we went about it as... Um, winning the grand final, it was more how we conducted ourselves as a group outside the footy club. So we had player gatherings, players, you know, player meetings and, and just, you know, going down to the pub or going somewhere, meeting at someone's house. So the camaraderie of the of the actual squad was a really tight knit. So every time we went out to play a game of footy, we believed that we could beat anyone because we knew how to play in Victoria, we knew how to play in Queensland, all these places. So, And we had a great squad and some great great players. You've spoken about the camaraderie and all that kind of stuff. I guess, who were the, the drivers of that culture and then who were the ones who, who drove you to become the player you were? Did it remain your older brothers or did that become people within the footy club? It pretty much came the, the guys around the footy club. Christian Mayroon was a, was a massive one because he was on the other side of the wing and I was on the on one and, and uh, he was a big influence in me on how we played together. Johnny Worsfold was a big influence on, on white line fever and how to conduct yourself um, at training and then in the games. Michael Brennan, so you had your, had your leaders. Yep. So they pretty much showed us how to train. We don't train half-hearted, we train 100% like we play. So that group, every time we crossed that white line, whether it was training or uh, in games, they led from the front and we followed. So we had some great leaders. And then once we got better at it, not only so much in the 92 grand final, as I got more experienced and more known to different types of grounds and different types of venues, I started coming that that leader yeah. um, when the younger guys coming through. So they were pretty much the, the main guys. I was at the Swans when we won the flag in 2012. So I know what it's what it's like with those leaders of like really ruthless clubs because that's what you've got to be like. Were there any occasions where you struggled with maybe a fitness or a standard thing or, you know, like like training levels early days and then when you became one of those leaders and you understood what it took, did that then impact the way that you, you know, gave that message back down? I try to train as hard as I could. Yeah. Um, 
before games and so forth so the younger guys can see how I'm pretty much training the way I'm going to play. So the guys rubbing my shoulders in regard and watching how I played and, and playing on them in scratch matches and so forth, trying to teach them train how you play and then once, you know, they teach you and they will come back for more knowledge. So it's having that, I guess, that knowledge of how to play the game when it needs to be and how hard you have to be when, when the time comes for the crunch of it. And these younger guys pretty much want to ask questions. So that's how good you feel because you know you're giving something back to these younger guys. The challenge for me was getting picked. The challenge for you was, was you know, um, elevating from elite to that next level again. Can you tell us a bit about that? I guess um, now that I've retired and it's been so many years and you catch up with a lot of players, opposition players that you played on against or played in those those sides against, they always said, you know, you're probably the first five that we'd have to watch to uh, try and nullify the influence during games. And, and that's probably why I pretty much got tagged on a wing, which I couldn't believe playing junior footy and, and going forward that you get actually tagged on a wing. So I knew then that every time I went out to play that I was going to be tagged. I'm going to have that sort of pressure. Not only is the, the opponent that I was going to play on, the guys around me. Yeah. So you really had to go that next level because not only the coach wants you to um, you know, lift your game that extra notch, it's, it's your teammates because you're part of a game plan and you know, you've got to get there or get somewhere in that, yeah. in that set play where those guys are waiting for you to, to be. And if you're not there, they'll be you know, having a go at your type of thing. So Dirty. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's a lot of things that you had to come, up, come about and having Johnny Worsfold and Michael Bernard and Guy McKenna and these guys next year, and just saying, whoosh, can you just give me a couple of metres on this bloke, you know, and, and he'd do it. Yeah. So I think that was the hardest thing is, is is not only so much your game, it's having these guys around you to help you be better at your game, you know what I mean? Who were some of the toughest players you played on and what was it like, uh, you know, knowing when you come up against these guys in big matchups? In the early 90s, you look at Hawthorne with the, the, the size, uh, how good they were all around the ground. Um, they had a great forward line, but the person that I always had to play on was Darren Pritchard. And Darren couldn't, I guess you couldn't give him two metres or even a metre because he'll just grab the ball and straight down Dunstall's throat. So um, you had to really watch how to play him. He was a very hard hard person to play on because of his speed and his skill. You really couldn't give him, like I said, that, that room. Um, so I really played defensively on him. And then there's another one, which is Riccardi, which is, you know, the two sides that we're pretty much playing in the finals, which I'd always come up against Riccardi because of his speed. And again, you're putting it down Ablett yeah. or you're putting down Brownless or, or um, Stoneham. So those two players, those sides, we're relying on them guys to get the footy. There aren't too many people who get to play with their brothers at the elite level. What was that like? It was pretty weird in a way that having my younger brother there he pretty much kept on saying, you know, what time we have to go to training? What do we have to wear to training? What do we have to wear on the play? Work it out All yourself, mate. <laughs> as, a, as a younger brother would. Yeah, he pretty much made a player of his own. Um, one of the greatest small forwards for West Coast. He pretty much designed how to crumb um, and, and kick goals, but he, he also had a defensive side of him, which was yeah. pretty much unstoppable on, on his defensive side. So created a lot of opportunities, not only for himself, but a lot of uh, other players in the, in the side. So, um, but yeah, it was good because, you know, I could teach him um, a few things if he needed it. Um, that support was there for him. He pretty much designed his own way about how to play his own style. Yeah. And I just pretty much gave him the 100% support through that. 
Who were the guys who you turned to when you were going through your own struggles? The biggest one would have been the captain, which is Woosher, and Chrissy Mainwaring and, and Chris Lewis. I think with me, me and Chris Lewis, we um, pretty much shared a room for nearly 10 years of our footy career. And you travel every second week too. <laughs> every, yeah, and every second weekend we sat together uh, on the plane. We we had the same room, you know, so we, we really knew each other's game inside out. Um, Chris Mainwaring was about the wing, how we, we play defensively, how do I do a tag, so forth. Wish was more about self-motivated on, on how you can beat this opposition and how you can get other players involved to help tags and, and so forth because tag was a big one where I got frustrated a lot where players were pretty much not really worrying how many kicks or handballs they get as long as I don't get any. Um, so when you're getting held and so forth, you really get frustrated and, and then you start, you know, um, getting mad. Your game starts going down. So these type of guys I, I really lent on and they pretty much helped me through um, my whole career. Did you ever have one of those moments where you go, oh, yeah, I'm actually one of those people now who the kids are coming to? How do I do this? How do I do that? What do I do here? What do I do there? Yeah, pretty much. And as I think I really... Uh, um, with, I guess, David Wurupunda, took him under my wing and even my brother Phil, we, we pretty much nurtured him through his, his start of his career because he was only young. Yeah. And just everyone in general that played uh, either halfback, wing, midfield, they'd always come to me and ask where I'd position myself at a pack, just in general. And you felt really good in a way of giving that back to them because you've been there, you've done it. And to give back to them, I guess it was, it was for me, it was rewarded. Something that's really interesting for me is you played through a period where there was a lot of change um, in terms of there was still a lot of racism, you know, around footy back then, but also a lot of steps forward happened. What was that like, I guess, culturally around the comp, talking with, with other blackfellas about, you know, you've got Longy happening here, you've got, um, you know, all the other boys copping their abuse, but then changing the laws around the game and... It's just such a fascinating time for me. And then what you guys went through made it so much easier for Mick and, and Goodsy and those boys. And then those boys made it easier again for, you know, when, when guys like me come through. Yeah, I guess when uh, I was coming through, there was, a, there was a fair bit of it, racism in, in, in the game. Going back when Nicky did his jump up, up you know, yep. I think that was the standing point because I remember Christy Lewis and Troy Ugo and a few others, we pretty much, and every other club, rally together to try and be united as Indigenous players. And there's a lot of players that really come out of the woodwork that really weren't Aboriginal, but that they, they really, then they identify themselves as Aboriginal players. So the colour of their skin was a bit lighter. So a lot of people back then didn't really know. Even myself, a lot of people didn't think that I was Aboriginal because I had a, another background in, in Italian background. So and once they start digging into it and then they start finding out that you are Aboriginal, yep, you start getting a bit of that as well. So... It did happen back then, but I think that we've come a long way now, even though you know, with Longy and, and, and so forth, we're doing the walk. The recognition is, is there because it doesn't need to be because we're all, we're all equal, we're all one. And, you know, the best magic out in the footy field is black magic, you know, <laughs> because you've got all the best footballers out there playing the game today, uh, nearly all Aboriginal players. I, I agree completely. I wanted to pick up on a point you made there, um, back there. I played with um, Jonathan Griffin when I was at the Crows and you touched on when um, people talk about, you know, being light skin and then what that's like because that's a challenge on its own 
and a lot of non-Aboriginal people don't understand what it's like for it not to be obvious or to walk between those two worlds. And, you know, Griffo, a lot of people used to question him and, like, we all knew because you just know. A lot of people kind of questioned him. What was that like for you? Because that's that's a hard thing to have your own identity challenge like that. You know, a lot of people in the early 90s and that, especially in the in the Italian side of of dad's side where they, you know, they said, you know, you shouldn't, you know, you're not Aboriginal, you're Italian. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm both. Um, so there's a lot of that going through. It even went through my school years because having an Italian father and an Aboriginal mother, it got through to the AFL where I was a little bit light-skinned. So you get the guys like Louie was a bit more darker skinned. Then you got Troy Hugh and a few others that had darker skin would get picked on more. And then when that stance of, of Nicky went down, we all rallied around each other at each club. Yeah. And you got Gilbert McAdam and, and Longing, all that led that stand with uh, Gilbert. We all rallied together and then everyone came out and then all of a sudden we were on notice and everyone knew who we were. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it, everything started changing around then because we weren't just, it wasn't just the colour of your skin, it was inside. It was massive. It was massive for us to be able to come out because it was, it was a lot of hurt, especially in with our, my mother and our her family with a stolen generation and so forth. So she didn't get to see them hard. for a long time. There's a lot of hurt there. But as you go through the AFL, there was a lot of hurt in the early days. But today's footy is totally different and everyone's educated a lot more. Can you take me back to when you guys all rallied together? Because I can imagine that message or the phone calls going around to the clubs and everyone going, do we, don't we? And everyone's going, yeah, we're doing it. But I mean, was it just so much bigger than we can imagine now? Yeah, I think if it was if it was if it was today's footy was back when we did it, it would have been like out of this world type of thing. But it wasn't as big as what it should have been. Yeah. But we all, led by Chrissy and, and Troy Eugle and, and a few others, we all rallied together. And then you got all the other clubs rallied together and took photos of ourselves because we were proud to be Aboriginal. And when that came about, it was it was massive because the whole club even didn't realise there was you know who was Aboriginal and who was. Um, because of the colour of their skin. Yeah. So, and then all of a sudden, people started getting educated about where you're from, who's your mob, all that type of stuff. And then the club started getting a little bit educated, but that overall, the football world of Australia didn't know about Aboriginal culture because it's it's not in the record yeah. books. It's not in the history, you know what I mean? So we're pretty much trying to tell them about the history and they're going, really? You know, that's why we have... They don't want to hear it either. <laughs> Yeah, I know, and and that's why you have this cultural awareness in businesses and around trying to educate business people and about our culture. Um, the AFL didn't do it back then because they didn't didn't understand it a lot. Today's footy, they do. So many people love watching you play. Right now, who are some of the Indigenous boys who are your favourites to watch? Liam Ryan, probably my one for uh, for West Coast. So good. Liam Ryan saying, "Kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack, and here he comes." Oh. See him take some marks and in that grand final and coming on as a young boy and, and he's doing really well, you know, coming from outside of WA to, to play there and being in WA but going to West Coast. I remember uh, Lewis Jenner, you know, like I, I remember training with Lewis and teaching him and I got him to try and get to uh, Sydney Swans and I helped him get drafted to Sydney Swans and to see him back at the club at, at West Coast is, is huge because he's got the same sort of pace as mine and if he wants to go, he can go. 
which is good. A few of the boys over, over north, uh, mate, there's so many of them, like, it's, it's hard to name one. That's what every black fella does. No one just says one. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, because there, there's a cruel mob of um, black fellas out there that's playing awesome footy for us. You know, I can't wait to see Buddy back in action. Yeah. Um, hopefully he can, you know, stay strong and stay healthy and stay injury-free. Because, Get the thousands. Yeah, you know, because he's another another level. So, yeah, those two are probably my um, guys that I love watching. I've got to ask you about how close he came to signing with the Ds. What ended up making that decision? Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was a big decision to make. I, I won the first and best uh, for the club. I got all Australian, and I thought come and runner up in the Brownlow. I think come twice runner up, but I, I don't think I'm going to win it. So it's time to move, and I wanted to try and see where footy is is the MCG and the home of Melbourne. I was going to wait and see what happens, but it was just one of those decisions that I just wanted to go and try out. And but having all my teammates. I even had the media out, parked out in front of my house. I had to jump over the back fence to get away from the media. Proper rock star style. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like all the supporters and so forth. But I think it was it was all my teammates. And not only that, I think being remembered as as a one team person, yeah, playing for West Coast, and not only that, life after footy might be a lot better being in WA, and a lot of opportunities would would come about that. So that was pretty much my decision and family as well, being close to family. What would be the couple of things you'd say about what the AFL journey is and what it takes to get there? Yeah, I guess um, being a young kid and coming from the country and you're going to get a lot of Indigenous, non-Indigenous guys coming outside of the city to join a footy club, whether it be West Coast or you know, your local footy. That transition is is you know going away from family. I think biggest thing would be to find someone that you can get along with, as in a, a, another player in, in regard to getting to know what you know, what that team is like, what the culture is like, not only understanding what's right, what's wrong around that club, and not only that outside the club, is getting someone that you can really be close with because you need that support. Because yeah. if your family's not there, you need someone in that club that can that you can rub shoulders with when you aren't happy and you and you're sad because you're missing family. So understanding like it's gonna be a massive move. But as if I was younger back then, my first transition was to keep going back home if it wasn't my family. So family is a big thing, but I think you can break away from that and get really good support outside of your family support because there are good things that footy clubs and the community can really gather around you to make you so happy. So that'll be the, the biggest one. And I think if you want to get somewhere in life, you just got to keep trying and trying and trying and never give up because you only get one chance at the big time, which is which is AFL. So you've got to try and do everything right first time because you never know what's around the corner. What do you think the biggest challenges are for now specifically Indigenous kids, not just any kids and Indigenous kids? And I, I kind of led you to one of them with like moving away from home, but there's other ones as well, of course. Biggest thing would be don't be afraid because it's you're there for a reason. The club has selected you because of your skills. So you don't have to worry about your skills because they've already selected you. So all you have to do is just improve on your skills to get better and better and better. What you've got to improve on is outside of your footy uh, ability because that's the biggest issue that a lot of clubs want you in that that club because yep. of of your of your skills of your football. But the other side is you as a person. What are you like? You know, what is your attitude like? You know, what is your communication like? All these things is a, is a package for a club. 
because they can market you and, and so forth. But the biggest thing is, is they can they can teach you and you can understand a lot more. So forget your skills because your skills is there. It's already there. It's natural. You can work on them as you get older, as an 18, 19, 20 type of thing. It's that other side that you've got to really learn because it's, it's, it doesn't come natural when someone is really shy. And a lot of us blackfellas are shy because <laughs> it, it takes a lot it takes a lot of us to get to know someone, to trust someone. Yeah. So if we get to learn that trait, I think a lot of our cultures and a lot of our Aboriginal players do that transition are going to be a lot better for it. Just what does it mean to be regarded in the 16 deadliest Indigenous players? I mean, you were like a demigod to me growing up. I didn't see heaps of you, but I just knew so much about you. And now being able to sit here and talk to you and talk like this is, I mean, I'm, I'm pinching myself, but for you to be, you know, held in that regard, um, what does that mean to you? Yeah, awesome. Um, to be amongst, you know, a few of the WA guys that, that I grew up watching as a young kid and to see me up against them um, and being in that 16, it's like it's, you know, it's, it's not a dream come true. It's, it's just a privilege to be able to play the game that I loved and to be like some of my idols that I cherished and, and you know, some have passed away. But to see them um, or see me in that same league and that, you know, in the deadliest, I think um, I can take my hat off because it's it's a great achievement for myself to just to be recognised in that group. So thanks to the AFL and, you know, the, uh, the, the recognition. We'll let you go. Thanks for taking the time to, to have this chat. And again, you're an absolute champion champion bloke as well, which is really, really important for our people to know, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you next time I see you. Beautiful. Thanks, Jimmy. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our feed so you don't miss any deadly stories. Don't forget to tune in to Yoko Footy at 8pm Wednesdays on NRTV and the AFL Network.